0: This is Neon Radio, episode 103, with Garib Sheamus. Welcome to Neon Radio. I'm your host, Nick Onkin, fashion and lifestyle photographer for today's top brands, performers, and game changers. On this podcast, we explore the body, mind, and soul of the creative entrepreneur, bringing you inspiring guests to help take your creativity, business, and life to the next level. What is up, everyone? Welcome to another episode of Neon Radio. I am your host, Nick Onkin. I just got back from the summit of greatness with my buddy, Lewis Howes. He did an amazing job, amazing conference, and I did a really big art piece, a public art piece out there with some stars. Check it out on Instagram. It was a really, really fun project. We got everybody from the conference involved in it. And it had a positive message, a positive theme to it. Very fun. I am in the state of Wisconsin this week working on an ad campaign for a few days, so that should be exciting. I am excited to introduce you to this week's guest. His name is Gareb Seamus. He is an artist, but he's the formerly the creator of Wizard World Comic Con. Fascinating guy with a lot of wisdom. He has an amazing business sense, obviously, since he built the entire Wizard World Comic Con business to a huge business. And he took those skills and applied them to his art career. He recently left his business. He he hired a team to take over Comic Con so that he could be a full-time artist. And he has a lot to bring to the table in terms of how your business works with your art how relationships and networking and, and building those relationships can accelerate your career. Also, a lot of other tips on creative process and much, much more. I find Gareb's work very fascinating. He does all these drops of paint on a canvas in various shapes. And it's nothing like I've ever seen before. Very cool stuff. He's got a lot of insights. So I bring to you the one, the only, Mr. Garib Seamus. what is up everyone today i'm in the studio of garib Shamus. welcome to
1: the show nice to be here thank you
0: yeah so we're in the gallery slash studio space and if there's some noise going on that's where we are so you'll you'll understand you'll understand many big things happening over here
1: yeah we got uh we got a whole kind of thing going on where uh got a lot of painting ready i got a few shows coming up and uh also getting prepared for uh, Art Basel as well.
0: Oh, that's exciting. So Garib is an artist and also a founder
1: of Comic-Con. Yeah, so uh, my entire life has been dedicated to the superhero business. <laughs> I love it. So we've got lots to talk about, and I'm excited to share his story with you guys. So we're in Chelsea right now, and did you grow up in Chelsea or uh, in New York? I was born in Queens and then uh, lived in and around the city my entire life. Oh, fantastic, yeah. fantastic. So let's get a quick overview of, you know, you started in Com- you know with
0: Comic-Con, and then what, what led you up to here? And then we'll kind of jump back and dissect some things.
1: Oh, Absolutely. So I grew up with three brothers, so I grew up collecting sports cards, comic books, really fun stuff. And then my mom wound up opening up a comic book and sports card store when I was a kid. So it's literally like having candy in the family. Wow. Yeah, so when I graduated college, there were no jobs, so I decided to start a newsletter for the store. And it turned out at school I became an expert on desktop publishing um, because I worked for the school newspaper there. Hmm. So I started a newsletter on my Mac. This is back in the late 80s, early 90s. When desktop publishing was just emerging, mm. and um, people loved the newsletter and decided, "Hey, why don't I turn it into a magazine?" Mm. And um, I, I used to collect original artwork, and we used to know all the, a lot of the artists, but nobody knew what they looked like. This was all before the internet. This was before big, you know, a lot of the cell phones were out, so nobody knew what their favorite artists or writers looked like. Yeah. So I created this four-color magazine, which showed people what they looked like. So. Oh. We actually turned a lot of artists into superstars just because nobody even knew what they looked like. That's so my insane. whole life has been towards working with artists and writers and giving them publicity. Ultimately, the magazine started selling globally in over 50 countries and dozens of languages. Wow, that's insane. And then decided to do something in marketing by throwing this big comic book event. So I wound up acquiring this... It was a tiny show at the time, a Comic-Con in Chicago, where it had a couple thousand people in a, in a hotel room. Wow. And we threw this large party, and lots and lots and lots of people showed up because we, the magazines covered the movies, the television, the games, the toys. Mm-hmm. And what we did was basically people, the geeks and the nerds, were the outsiders and the outcasts when I was a kid. Yeah. And, you know we were the ones that were into the superheroes, but we weren't into the girls or sports or things like that. So people really kind of frowned upon us. But then when the magazine came out and the shows came out, it created almost this social network for people Mm. to feel like they were part of something much bigger. Wow. So over two decades, you know, the geeks and the nerds became cool through basically a couple different ways. One of them was through technology, but the other way was through superheroes. Mm. So, you know, we kind of led the charge of making the geeks and the nerds cool over two decades by, by, you know, focusing on the superhero side of things.
0: That's awesome. That's awesome. So how old were you when you started the magazine and, you know, were you going through school or what was, what was the process with that? I,
1: I literally graduated college. I was 21. Um, couldn't get a job, so I wound up literally moving back in with my parents. Uh, we had a copy machine, and I started working at the store. Like my parents were literally paying me hourly to show up every day. That's crazy. Yeah, but I knew I needed to do something else. Yeah, uh, with that and figure out how to leverage that. So I worked for the school newspaper. So one day when I was out selling, I used to sell advertising around the department there. And I used to get a 10% commission on all the sales, and I ran into a guy in the field that was selling against me, and he owned a local newspaper there. And he asked me to sell for him. I'm like, you know, I'm making 10% or whatever, and then we started talking. He's like, well, I'm the guy that makes 90%. And I was like, all right, well, I wanna be you one day. I don't wanna be on the 10% end of this thing. That's funny. Yeah, so that's when I kind of knew I wanted to get into publishing. Yeah,
0: yeah. And did you always grow up kind of with an entrepreneurial spirit,
1: or? Yeah, luckily, um, both my parents were entrepreneurs. They never, you know, I don't, I don't recall them ever having bosses. So mm. it's one of those kind of things where my dad. Always had some businesses um, in the food industry and, uh, and in the, the transportation industry and things like that. So it was always the kind of thing where my dad would come home and even if he didn't like his job, it was never I hate my boss or I can't stand it there or I don't like the people I work with. You yeah, know? And, yeah. and then my mom also was very influential because she was also an entrepreneur. She opened up the store you know, mm-hmm. we're talking probably over 30 years ago. So, yeah. you know, for my, for a woman to be a, a business owner, even back then was pretty novel.
0: Absolutely. Absolutely. I'm always fascinated with that idea, especially women entrepreneurs. I'm fascinated with
1: it. And, and because there's, there's different obstacles like that they have to get past. So is the store still around today? Yeah, The store is still around. Uh, one of my brothers runs an entire like online wholesale, uh, not an online wholesale, but also an online store side of the the, the actual physical store. Oh, wow. Um, yeah, so it's pretty great. He's like one of the larger toy retailers in the country. That's insane. Yeah, That's so insane. my whole life has been around comic books and toys and superheroes, <laughs> and it's, it's really been fun. That's awesome. So you got out of college, you created this magazine, and how
0: did it expand from there? Because it sounds like that was like the jumping the springboard for into... You know, Comic Con and all this other stuff.
1: Yeah. So basically, what happened was when we did the magazine, it was also a testing ground for things that that I liked and the editors liked and the people that read the magazine liked. So we would have Wizard, and then all we'd do a section on toys, and then all of a sudden we'd be working with Mattel and Hasbro and all the toy companies. And then the six pages we devoted to it in the magazine needed to be a hundred pages. So wow. all of a sudden we started a toy magazine, and then we covered gaming, and then we needed to do a gaming magazine, and then we started covering comic books from 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 Asia. So we started a whole manga and anime magazine. And then all of a sudden we started a big toy magazine. And then, you know, so the magazines just kept growing out of each other because of the interest that we had. And because we had such a large circulation, you know, it was enough to kind of spawn it off into its own. That's fascinating. So you
0: became that guy. Yeah. Yeah. And then the
1: same thing with the comic cons, we had the one in Chicago Uh and that did really well. So we were like, okay, what are the other cities? So we started one in Philadelphia and then we started one in Austin and then we started one in uh, you know, virtually all over the place. Yeah, and it got to the point where, you know, about five or six years ago, um, I had raised some capital for the company and brought in a management team and put in a board of directors. Hmm. You know, so that we could expand the business. And uh, you know, today we'll we'll probably produce about twenty five Comic Cons a year wow. throughout the country. Wow. Yeah. Is it, so there's only one it's your, it, there's, is there multiple? Yeah. So what, yeah, what's happened over the years is that the big one is in San Diego. Mm-hmm. And, um, over the years it just spawned, you know, more and more people doing comic cons, you know, regionally yeah. um, around the country. And, um, you know, we just brand it wizard world so that, you know, kind of has its own branding. It has its own feel and flavor yeah. around the country. And then we bring in a ton of celebrities. Um, recently we had Chris Evans, Chris um, Chris Hemsworth, Tom Hiddleston, the guy who plays Loki. Wow. Oh, amazing! Um, yeah, it was pretty. David Duchovny is was, was there, which no was great. To me. Yeah, so lots of really cool stars. That's awesome. That's awesome. Yeah. A friend of mine from
0: Teen Wolf is doing, he's, she goes to the Comic-Cons.
1: Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. So we put together a Back to the Future reunion with Michael J. Fox. And <sighs> yeah. It's like unbelievable. That's so yeah. cool. Yeah. My brother still runs the talent there. So he puts together these like, like dream teams. Like, it's like, okay, who do we want to see? And, um, <laughs> you know, so like Norman Reedus, we were getting, oh, yeah. you know, way back, even before the walking dead. Yeah. Um, you know, cause we, we used to like him, and, you know, and, um, what was that movie that he was in? Um, but, uh, you know, he was in some movie that we were like big fans of. Yeah. It like, All right, let's get him. You know, so like whoever we could like be like, oh, we want to meet this actor. Let's just fly him in and, you know, sign some autographs. That's awesome. Well, yeah. that was a great story. The Fear of uh, the Walking Dead story was was pretty amazing about yeah. how, that, how you kind of catalyzed that. Yeah. That well, franchise. Yeah. Well, and that's the thing is that because of my entire life being in the business, you know, we worked with a lot of artists and writers and I was relentless about making sure that in the magazine. We constantly featured new artists, new writers to break new talent. I wanted to be the one that gave a lot of these people their first break. Mm. Uh, we used to call it the mommy factor. I, like somebody would want to show it to their mom and say, look, you know, I made it. Yeah. You know, all those bills that you have for art school or writing school, you know, are starting to pay off. That's awesome. And and what that did was over, over basically decades, you know, a lot of these guys got their early start. So a guy like Robert Kirkman, who did create The Walking Dead... We were the first people to ever write about his book. Mm. Um, And he got discovered at one of my Comic-Cons. So the people who produced the show actually saw him at one of the shows. They saw his book. They liked him. They started talking to him. And then all of a sudden, you know, know, and it started, it wasn't even until probably I think four or five years after the book came out before he actually even got picked up, you know, to do the TV show. So he was only selling a few thousand books a month. And now it's, you know... You know, he's probably millions and millions a year, and 20 million people a week watch the show. So, that's insane. Yeah, so, you know, I don't want to take any credit for his success, you know, because he's done an unbelievable job, but we did provide a platform mm-hmm. for a lot of people to be able to, to get recognized, and especially a lot of artists. Yeah. And that's really where, you know, for me, um, you know, I worked with so many artists to to figure out what was that kind of secret to success you know what was it about one artist that made them more popular successful or were they better or not better but yet what was it that attribute that helped create the success for them yeah so yeah. um that's amazing so you know I was, I was kind of involved in that formula so yeah to speak. how did you create that formula it was really um it was really personal taste i think mm-hmm. at the end of the day it's really um you know i could i could I know literally a thousand people that could draw Batman perfectly but in most cases it was never that person that became successful it was always somebody that could do something unique or different with the character mm. you know that stood out from, from everybody else and it didn't mean that it was better or worse it just means that it was different so yeah. you would recognize that so that's like and even you compare it to the fine art world where you know people can choose any subject matter and any medium and any type of art you know, my past world was really limited in Mm. terms of what that media was and what the characters and subject were. So it took a really highly specialized person to be able to break out from the, from, from everybody else. Mm. So when you see it under that type of microscope, you know, it really kind of helps focus on, okay, well, what are those kind of things that make someone very unique? Yeah. So the uniqueness in art and creating a brand is
0: something that's you really have to focus on.
1: Oh, absolutely. So that's really where, you know, I've always been kind of on the creative side, always did a lot of woodworking and bronze casting and welding and just, you know, just live my life, you know, with art and being able to promote artists. And I was a, a big art collector as well yeah. in the comic book world, you know, so when I wanted to think about, you know, art for myself, mm-hmm. I actually thought I was going to be a writer. Oh, uh, no kidding. because well, I was a publishing, you know, yeah. so, uh, you know, I didn't, I didn't actually think I was a painting you know even though you know ultimately um, I you know, I've been working very hard at it but um, I just didn't have the discipline to yeah. physically sit there and write even though I had all the ideas I pitched some ideas to book publishers and they were like this is unbelievable we can turn it into a movie and I'm like but I just couldn't physically sit there and mm-hmm. write so the other thing is that um, you know for the art too I wanted to be very authentic you mm-hmm. know because I also felt like in my past life it was hard to be real with people because <laughs> I was in a position where um, so many people used to inundate me and want things from me because I can help them become successful. You know, between the magazines and the comic cons and the platform, everybody used to approach me. Can you? You know, what do you think? Can you write? Can you do? You know, and but it was everybody: every artist, writer, movie studio, television network, video game company, toy company—you name it. Anybody that made anything with a superhero, you know, wanted something. Mm. So you know, and it was very hard to accommodate everybody. And it was also hard to be honest with people. Right, right. So when I was trying to come up with a concept for myself to get into art, it was like, how can I do something that was both exciting and engaging, which has been my life, but also kind of keep people at a distance, because that's unfortunately what I had to do. Mm. So that's when I came up with the idea to extrude paint, you know, and um, you know, it took me a long time to kind of figure out that process. Yes, and ultimately, you know, I kind of developed this technique, and it was just kind of doing it for fun for myself. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I definitely want to jump into that in a second, but um, I want to go back and
0: jump back when you were building the magazine and and getting that started. I mean, I, I think, you know, so much of building is kind of going through the struggle and the hustle. And and what were some? What was what was your beginning years like? And making money and creating your your magazine and and. In that process
1: yeah so there's no question it was it was very very difficult at, at first because um, I was 21 at the time and I looked very very young for my age mm-hmm. um, so it was very hard to get people to even care or pay attention I was also trying to do something that hadn't been done before so yeah. between looking like a 14 year old kid and trying to get something done um, you know, it was really hard to get people to care or pay attention or to take me seriously mm-hmm. in terms of what I wanted to do. So it was really just becoming a force of nature, you know, and just not taking no for an answer, and being able to do this magazine um, and starting it out on a smaller side. We literally had the guy who ran the comic books in the store; he was our editor in chief. We, <laughs> we had the customers writing articles for us and you know, and then I'd work, you know, multiple shifts and I'd get people wherever I could to help us out. Yeah. And, um, you know, to the point where, you know, we can get it together. And then ultimately, you know, we got to this point where the fan interest for what we were doing was rising, Mm -hmm. but the retailer interest was waning because, you know, they were old school. They didn't, they didn't get it. They didn't get that these new kids coming up, these 14 year old kids really wanted this product, you know, and these would be like, basically like old white guys in a store, you know, not, not, not in tune mm-hmm. to what was going on because their bread and butter was really the older comic books. So we had to just really appeal to people and there was no internet and no cell phones and no kind of social media out there. So it was really, you know, getting this campaign about getting your friends, you know, to get involved. Yeah. And we started to create these campaigns around getting your friends and doing exclusives and doing unique things that you could only get if you purchased or bought the magazine. Mm. And we also had a really great toilet sense of humor as well. So it's also <laughs> went pretty well, which is good because, you know, a lot of my life has been about networking. And, you know, I think we kind of learned early on that the best way to get people is through your friends and your friend network. And mm-hmm. so if we told like a really funny, stupid toilet humor joke, you know, people would show it to their friends and be like, Hey, isn't that funny? And then the next month they'd pick up the magazine and they'd tell two friends and so on. Oh, that's great. Yeah. That's great. So,
0: you know, how were you making, how are you paying your bills, your rent, and, and things at this
1: point in your life? Uh, so basically, um, I, um, I still lived at home, so I really didn't mm-hmm. have any expenses. Yeah. And I basically went to my parents and I said, look, you know, I can go to graduate school <laughs> and I can make you pay a lot of money for me to go to school and, uh, and continue my education. I'm like, or you can help, you know, instead of paying those bills, you know, once or big bills once or twice a year, you could pay me some money every month. Yeah, to uh, to do this, so I, I borrowed some money from my folks. Okay, oh, you know, in order to do that, but I also worked in the store and really kind of you know mm-hmm. try to help pay my way a little bit. But basically, I borrowed some money from my p- family. Yeah, to be able to do that. Um, but I literally started it at my parents' house. I mean I, the garage was our shipping area. I took over one of the rooms as our is our you know editorial office and That's awesome. I took over the dining room for like the layout and design and really kind of shoved people into the house as much as I could so so we actually didn 't have a lot of overhead, yeah, so it was really kind of and we got people in the store to write the articles so so we didn't have the kind of expenses you know. That ultimately a real magazine used to have, but but I think that was the charm of it. I mm-hmm. think that was the that kind of homegrown feel to it. I think that people really liked about it right from the start because it wasn't you know this group of people preaching to them. We were their friends, telling them what we like. Yeah, you know, to another friend. Oh, that's great. That's great. And it's it's now now look at you. Yes, <laughs> <laughs> it's kind of like the apple of uh,
0: of uh, magazines.
1: Yeah. So, uh, yeah, so I wound up, I wound up getting out of the publishing side of it probably about like five or six or seven years ago. Okay. You know, as that, as people started going more into the tech side of things and the digital side Mm -hmm. of things, it was very hard to make money, you know, Mm -hmm. on the publishing side of things. Um, you know, when the economy went down, the, uh, the advertising dried up Yeah, and we were really just kind of fighting this uphill battle. And at the time... You know the same thing with the event business again as everybody was going digital all these groups and everything was popping up online mm. you know and that's really when you know we really had to decide you know what was going to be the future yeah and um you know i think the future for getting paid for content really wasn't going to be there anymore and it's really interesting shifts started happening um, because our whole business was about picking up on trends and understanding what was going on way before anybody else yeah. knew what was happening. So I kind of joke that my, I'm not clairvoyant, but I could, <sighs> I, I know what people want next, you know, yeah. because my whole life I've kind of studied that and pick up, I could, I could look at very small trends that are happening and then figure out what might be, you know, kind of where that's going. Interesting. Um, and and on a mass or mass consumer six yeah. set, uh, a side of things, you know, so, you know, all these toy companies would send me every toy, and we'd have to predict what was going to be hot. You know, or we'd get we'd get literally three thousand comic books a month in the office, and we'd have to pick a couple that we thought were going to be the ones people want. So, you know, our whole life, my whole life, was about you know, kind of the instinct and the taste that I had. You know, yeah. for being able to do that. So, um, so we were kind of at that crossroads. You know, what do we do? You know, the publishing and print business is going down the toilet, but and then everybody's going digital. So I felt that at that point in time, people were at some point in time were gonna migrate back into the event business. Yeah. You know, so as people were becoming more lonely online, at some point mm. they were gonna kind of wanna edge back into you know, kind of that human interaction and hu- human contact. Yeah. So that's when I doubled down on the event side of the business. So All that's right. when I started building and buying and rolling up a lot of the Comic Cons around the country. And everybody thought I was crazy. They're like, what are you doing? You know, it's like, you know, everybody's going tech and you're going, you know, low tech. And it's like, well, you know, so, but it was a great time because, you know, nobody was paying attention to that. Mm -hmm. So all of a sudden I was able to put together, you know, a really nice network of of events out there. And then as we can see in what's happened in the world, you know, all this experiential and experiential marketing and events have taken off. So whether it's, you know, burning man or south by southwest or comic cons or you know yeah. anything that kind of aggregates people a mass way mm-hmm. you know these things are like the seeds that form you know social media the pearls that, that are out there yeah you know, so so much of social media is based around people getting together whether it's taking a picture of their food at a restaurant or taking pictures of them dancing at an EDC concert. Yeah, you know? absolutely. Did you get a chance to go check out the uh, refinery, the 29 rooms of refinery? Uh, no, I haven't made it over there. Yeah, I
0: mean, but you talk about like a f- complete, you know, an experiential thing like this. And that's like uh, exactly what you're talking about. Yeah. 29 rooms, each completely individually designed.
1: That's like an Instagrammable moment. Right. And yeah. I th- yeah, I agree. I think that's where things are heading. Yeah. and that's And that's really where... You know, people are more interested in spending their dollars on the experience of things and being with their friends and being around that versus, Mm. oh, I just got a new this or a new, whether it's, you know, uh, a new watch or a new pocketbook or it doesn't matter. You know, they're just more things. Yeah. You know, the idea of spending more time with your friends or your family and sharing those moments together, you know, has really kind of taken off.
0: Absolutely.
1: Absolutely. So did you get rid of the magazine completely or is it yeah. still out there somewhere? Uh, no, I wound, up, it? Yeah, I wound up getting out of the magazine business totally. Oh wow. Um, yeah. And then, cause it really required our full-time focus, you know, on the event side of things. Yeah. And, and it was also one of those things too, where um, I couldn't see my way out. I couldn't see, there was no visibility for the future. You know, so it wasn't like I could sit there and say, "Oh, if we do this with the magazine, it could work." You know, even today, I mean, a lot of the magazines that work, it's because you know they might have some other base of business, or they have so many of them that yeah. collectively they could work, or they've been able to create some video side of their business or whatever, and required you know either bigger dollars or bigger partners than we had at the time yeah. to be able to do that. Yeah. So what was
0: be, what's what been some of your biggest challenges uh, with Comic-Con and going through that process?
1: Um, I think with, with Comic-Con, it's the, the biggest challenge has always been trying to, first of all, get celebrities. Um, I think that's... Because that, um, I think there's this, there has or has been this notion that, you know, that a lot of celebrities go to the shows only because they need the money or mm-hmm. you know, they fall on hard times. But that's not the case. I mean, when you see what happens with a lot of sports athletes. You know, they could be, you know, the biggest stars in the world that go get paid to, you know, to take pictures or sell autographs or whatever. And, you know, there's nothing wrong with that. You know, there's, you know, you wanna be able to, you know, create an environment where it's comfortable for these people to meet their fans, you know, and, but their time is very valuable, you know, so when an actor can make, you know, 10,000 or, you know, a million dollars a day working on a film, Right. You know, you have to be able to compensate them. So, so in a lot of cases, the audience wasn't even big enough to be able to afford the type of talent that you'd want to get. So, mm-hmm. so, so the Comic Cons needed to grow as a business before it could actually even afford to bring in the type of talent that would want that that the fans would want to see. Yeah. Um, yeah. The other thing that we did too is we also we also wanted to make things very accessible. Mm-hmm. So I think. For a lot of people, celebrities are very inaccessible. People see them on on the TV or they see them in the movies, and or if they meet them or see them, you know, it's rushing in and out of a car. It's 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 at a distance in a club. It's you know maybe they took a horrible selfie and everybody's blinking, you know, and it's or they just caught the side of their face, and and we felt like you know how can we enhance that experience, you mm-hmm. know, for people? So you know, so what I think one of the things that we mastered was the idea of, of making that experience very easy for somebody. So we brought in professional photographers, set up studios, created an environment where somebody could take a real picture with a mm. celebrity, get it printed out on site, and then get it autographed. Yeah. You know, so you have this, you know, this uh, visual history that you actually, and, and you know this real picture that you actually met the person, they signed it, you saw them. And, um, and then again, it's great for the social side of it as well, but. Yeah. But what we've also done is made it easy for the celebrity as well, you know, to make it for, so that it's comfortable for them, yeah. you know, that they're not looking like, you know, they're just kind of selling their autograph for money. We, we made it in such a way that they really have an opportunity to meet their fans. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was one of the biggest, I think the biggest challenge for growth, mm-hmm. um, you know, for us. Yeah, yeah I can imagine. So you've you worked through that. You hired
0: a complete team to run run Comic Con. So you stepped away. Yeah, and you've moved into to art and painting. Which yeah, I, we're sitting here in your studio, your your gallery, and I love like what you've created. And I'd love to hear that transition process of like how did you, you know, employ your company to the point where you can jump off and do this, but also like internally
1: what. Uh, well, let's just start with let's start with that, and then yeah. we'll go internal. Yeah. So my whole life, I feel like I've been doing startups. You know, I love starting something from nothing. Mm-hmm. You know, I feel like you know it's a skill that I like. I like taking something or an idea and turning it into something. So, so when I left the day-to-day operations of the company, um, I started a small media company with a friend of mine, and the goal was to develop media properties. You know, for movies and television and toys, and so we started working on a lot of that, and and then I started kind of migrating where people wanted me to start helping them either raise money for their companies or help them run their companies. Yeah. So I started doing a little bit more of that. And then it was like, you know, well, you know, it was just taking a long time or, you know, and then I was doing things for other people. And, you know, I always liked, you know, being able to kind of start something not on my own, but start it, my something with, you know, whether it's a great group of people or somebody with a great idea or, or it's just my ideas, you know, and then kind of organize people around doing that. So there was some days where, you know, I'd work a lot. There were some days where I'd work five minutes, you know, but I, I I felt like I wasn't being challenged creatively. I had all these ideas, you know, of what I wanted to do, but I didn't really kind of have an outlet for it. So that's when I um, I wanted to become a writer and then that, that kind of fizzled out really fast. Yeah. Um, but then it kind of struck me on this idea of getting into painting. Yeah. Um, so that's when I started painting. I literally just went to the paint store, you know, when I came up with this idea, I'm like, I'm gonna go buy some paint, buy some canvases, to buy a table, set it up right in my apartment, yeah, and uh, and started trying it, and it was coming out terrible. <laughs> so literally, like every other day, I was in the paint store, like picking up more things, yeah, trying more yeah. things. I'd come home, I'd rush home, I like to, like to keep trying it, and then I would try colors, and then and then it started taking shape. Yeah, and then um and then I just started creating designs and patterns and really cool, interesting things that I you know that I was kind of fascinated by, and I'd show it to like my, my brother or my son or my daughter or whatever, and it was like yeah. you know what do you guys think? And, yeah. You know, and you know, you could tell that they were like, they liked it, but you know, but they didn't know what the hell I was doing, and yeah, you know, wasting my time or whatever. Um, but it was, but then I, I, have, I, have, a lot of artist friends, so I brought in one friend of mine who was a fine artist, and, yeah. and he kind of ripped me apart. He was like, he was like, he he liked the technique, but he's like, your color theory is off, you know, you're working on this and you're working on wood and you should be on paper, and I want to see the edges, and you're you're cutting it off, and you're this. So wow. it was really great. It was like incredibly constructive. Yeah. um about it. And and I I want to say I listened to maybe 25% of what he said, but but I heard all of it. Yeah. You know, and and this way I was able to kind of make my own decisions about, mm-hmm. you know, I I liked working on wood and also uh, it works very well cuz I use a lot of paint. So I yeah. can't really work on canvas cuz it would it would sag and stuff like that. So Yeah. um and uh, so anyway, I took a lot of what, he, you know, kind of his ideas Um, not in terms of what I should do, but just kind of like, you know, just started absorbing out there what kind of the art world was saying or thinking about. Um, but it was always me doing my own thing. You know, it was always me, you know, Mm kind of processing, um, you know, what I wanted to do.
0: Um,
1: and then one day it was just, you know, I'm, I'm a consummate networker. You know, I love meeting people. I love talking to people. I like seeing what they're doing, what they're up to. And then just through a friend of a friend met um, a woman who was an art dealer. And um, so I invited her to my apartment to check out my art and she loved it. And I was like, wow. I'm like, this is like, all right. <laughs> so, And then she was like, look, you know, well, I'll introduce you to a gallery. You know, we'll see what he says. So so the gallery owner came to my apartment as well, checked out my work. He spent a few hours with me and he Amazing. just he loved my work too. And he was like, look, you know, if you can put together... Uh, enough paintings that are of a big enough size i 'll do a show with you, and that was last November oh, so wow. i spent so yeah, so that was about a a year earlier, so I literally spent an entire year um in my apartment just painting and painting and painting and and i didn't do, i didn 't put anything up on instagram i didn 't show anybody on facebook i mean i i really i wasn't em, embarrassed, but like I was I, it was very personal to me, and yeah. like I didn't want to be criticized, and I didn't want people to see it, and I don't want people to, you know, think about it or ask me about it. I just, right. you know, but I would slowly start showing like friends here and there, you know, what I was up to, until ultimately I had the gallery show in November, and now I needed to promote it yeah. to my friends, you know, especially. <laughs> so that's when, probably about a month earlier, I started you know, kind of leaking images of yeah. what I was working on. Yeah. And, and so I had my first gallery show and it was like amazing. Like so many people, so many of my friends turned out for it, especially because. That's awesome. I think it was more, there was this curiosity factor, like what the hell is Garab doing now? Yeah. But, yeah. Um, but it was really fun. And and my friends were very, very encouraging. And, you know, um, you know, so that was really great. Cause I've always been in a very creative field and, yeah. you know, and, um, you know, and I like, kind of doing startups and stuff like that. So it was really great to kind of be a part of that. Yeah. That's amazing. So how, how long did it take
0: you the process from when you started experimenting with this to the point where you, the guy, the gallery
1: woman saw it and was like,
0: let's, let's do this. Yes, it took
1: over two years, two and a half years, you know, mm-hmm. to get to that point where I had enough and I felt comfortable and I got better at it and kind yeah. of honed my skill and honed what I wanted to do and how I wanted to do it. Yeah. Um, but it was every day. It's, it wasn't just like five minutes here and there. It was like, Mm -hmm. it it became my job in a way. Um, but, but I say that in a way that like, fortunately, you know, I've always been able to work at things that I really love and enjoy. So that was, that was what I was doing. That's
0: amazing. That's amazing. And I think that's, that's hugely important to realize that it does take time and practice. And uh, I think in this world of, Insta famous, everybody right. wants to get from A to B, uh, without doing any of the work. And, and obviously you put in the work right yeah. get there. How many pieces would you say you, you did to get to the place where you felt comfortable and you felt like you had a, like a signature?
1: Well, I, I, at the show I had, I had uh, 12 pieces at the show and I'd probably done at least 50 pieces, you know, prior to that. Mm. Um, you know, one of the things that my artist friend told me was he's like, you have to get your first hundred pieces out of the way first. He's like, <laughs> because, because only then will you start really feeling like you're at that point where you you know where you're going with it. Yeah. And he's, one of the greatest, you know, things was just go with it. You know, one of the thoughts was just just keep exploring new things. If you come up with a pattern that you like, just do more of it and do, do it in every different way you can think of. Interesting. And, um, yeah, so he was very kind of opening of my mind in terms of just, just keep going down that path. Yeah. You know, my whole life, I kind of joke that I always jump into the rabbit hole, you know, and see where <laughs> it takes me. Um, so I'm doing that with the art. And yeah. It's been very exciting. Yeah. I think that's hugely fascinating. It's such a great piece of advice is get past your first hundred pieces and I got a long ways to go. Right. Yeah. But that's, that's the way it is with anything. I mean, you know, I, like you said, you, you, I can't think of anybody that's successful at something, you know, where they didn't go through a lot of trial and error to get there. Mm -hmm. Um, It takes time. It takes practice, you know, anybody that's successful, whether it's in the music business or movie business or television business, you know, there's been the countless hours that they've spent, you know, practicing and going on Broadway or giving up their childhood to pursue something. I mean, it's, it's endless. And then all of a sudden, you know, the minute they're on TV, you know, they've only been there for five minutes, but it's a lifetime of work to get there.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And that's the hardest thing to realize is all that hard work. How did you come up with this process of the paint drops and, you know, where did that come from
1: internally? But then, you know, what inspired, like what inspired that? Well, I I knew that um, for the art I I wanted to be true to myself. I wanted Mm. to be able to tell stories um, of my life and of what I've done and what I've been through. And whether it's relationships or being an entrepreneur, you know, because I've been doing it for 25 years, I've had so much of that life experience. So I needed I needed a way to be able to tell that story. And. Mm. And I also wanted to be very, very honest and truthful because this was a way for me to be able to express myself. Yeah. Um, where I didn't have to sugarcoat something. I didn't have to, you know, tell something to somebody just to make them feel good or what have you. But also, you know, I'm fortunate that I've had a blessed life. You know, mm-hmm. I have two unbelievably amazing kids. I have a great family. You know, I've I've been able to turn my my passion into my profession. And I've, I've had, I've so... So my work, I didn't need somebody to die or I didn't have to hurt myself yeah. to, to, to create some work. You know, I can be very optimistic about it. Mm-hmm. Um, and the technique was really kind of born out of what are the things about me? You know, you know, I kind of had to do a lot of self-reflection. You know, and like, what are those things about me that, that I want to talk about, you know, as yeah. kind of a base? So who, who am I? you know and you know they i've been fortunate to have this very fun and exciting and engaging life where you know i get to you know work with movies and television and toys and games and comic books and all that fun stuff for so long but uh, like i said you know i've been inundated with people you know wanting things from me so so i've kind of had to have that kind of step back from my own life mm-hmm. you know where i couldn't fully enjoy it because yeah. you know i was always kind of under this pressure where everybody wanted something so you know it was how do you express that so it was almost even from this like hand motion of of like keeping people away you know where i'm kind of using my hand now to like kind of push people away Mm. you know where i came up with that idea oh well what if i get the paint to do that you know Mm. what if i get the paint to get away and keep the viewers at a distance and it was kind of that extraction process that i was like all right well my designs and my color and my technique can be very engaging, Mm. but yet the process could be keeping everybody at a distance. And then all of a sudden it's like, wow, I can make them come to a point, you know, and then they'd fall over or they'd melt (laughs) or they'd be too lumpy or whatever. And just through a lot of trial and error of what kind of devices I would use or or the the kind of paint and and how I would apply the paint and the technique for the paint and, and how I can get all that together. Yeah. Um, you know, that was the trial and error, but the core of it was the technique of kind of extruding that paint, you know, drop by drop was once it was there, then I could use that, that as, a, as a template to tell all the different stories. Yeah. So, I mean, that's actually one of the things that I feel like I've actually been criticized for a little bit from people in the art world is that, you know, when you look at my works, they're kind of, they're not, I, I don't really create this collection. You know where I, I have like all these paintings that are of the same kind of thing in different sizes and shapes and colors but but they're kind of like some are some are swirls some are spirals some are some are these interesting designs some fill up the whole canvas some have these paths some are very random and you know that's just kind of me expressing myself yeah um, you know wanting to just tell all these like stories that I have to tell um, versus you know on one type of process yeah you know, one kind of story. That's awesome. So how
0: would you, you know, this is an audio podcast. What guys, for everyone who's listening, we're going to do a little video, kind of studio tour. So go check out the show notes um and we'll link that up. But how would you describe your paintings visually to somebody who's listening?
1: Um I would imagine, you know, that there are um virtually, you know, many, many different size Hershey kisses, <laughs> you know, on a canvas, mm. you know, so... Um, yeah, I'm able to get the, 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 the paint to kind of drop in such a way where, where, it, uh, where it comes to a point at the top and then I, all the dots are really kind of intersecting mm-hmm. with each other. So a lot of, you know, also the thought, you know, um, between, behind my work as well is that you know because I've done a lot of work in networking and stuff, mm-hmm. um, I've actually gotten a chance to learn a lot about myself and my art also through other people mm. that have kind of been interpreting my art which is fascinating. Oh, that's to very me fascinating yeah. because, you know, it's almost like what, what do they see as part of my subconscious that's coming out in the paintings that I don't even realize Ooh, that I'm good. doing. And one of the greatest ones by, it was by this, um, this artist that I'm friends with, you know, there's a gallery, um, called Art Helix and he's starting this thing called Shim, which is a, almost like a, it's an Airbnb for artists and galleries to kind of connect people. Oh, interesting. And, uh, yeah. And it's really a fascinating and, um, I'm really working with him and trying to be a big part of that, but you know he's we've spent so much time together and and so much of it is networking mm. you know and you know to him it was like it was so apparent to him that my work was all about networking you know yeah. that that all these drops were were people Ooh. you know and the intersection of all these people and and the connections between the people and how they connect with each other and and you know and it's kind of funny, but like my whole entire life is meeting people like every day, there doesn't, not a day that goes by where I'm not meeting three to five new people. Wow. And, um, you know, some days it's less, some days it's more, but, but there's so many times where like, that's all I'm doing and introducing them to other people. And, you know, and, and like the minute he looked at my paintings after he knew me, it was like, of course, that's what it's about, you know? And it's like, you know, and he's right. So, so kind of my, my, my work is, 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 is in this, uh, what's, what's called connectivism. And it's all about kind of this intersection of art and networking mm. and using my work as a way to network. And also the work itself is part of the network, you know? So when people now see it, they might show it to their friend and their friend yeah. and might take a look at it, you know? So the art itself is part of the network. Wow, yeah. That's amazing. I yeah. love that.
0: It's such a fascinating story. And, uh, How do you, I I love this whole idea of art, art and networking, and I'd love to hear a little bit
1: more on, on how ways that people could do that in their own worlds. Yeah. So basically, um, you know, I, 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 because I've been in the business world prior to be, you know, even though I've always been in the art world, you know, I, I wasn't in it professionally now that I'm in it professionally, I've been applying a lot of the same business skills that I have, you know, to the art world. And you know, at least in business, like I enjoy the business side of things and I enjoy the networking and the meeting of the people and going to gallery shows and fairs and and being there and talking to people. And, um, you know, but I also find that a lot of artists, you know, don't like the business side of of the business. And they also, a lot of them have social anxieties or social issues or Mm -hmm. things where, you know, they really want to create and a lot of them don't want to meet people you know, regularly, you know, yeah. they, they want to be more on the creative side of things, but I happen to enjoy the social side of it. Yeah. So, so I think a lot of that has really helped me. Yeah. Um, and then also, you know, I've kind of learned over the years, you know, people just don't hand things to you. You really got to ask or offer help mm. and people will help you. And, you know, just kind of be very generous out there, Yeah. you know, and not necessarily look for anything in return, but, yeah. but over time, you know, I think just giving to others will ultimately you'll get back. Yeah. That's so, huge, huge. Yeah. So, you know, like even the gallery space that we're in, you know, I, I offer this to friends all the time, you know, to be able to host their own gallery shows here, you know, one night only pop-up shows. I don't want to represent them. I don't want to be their gallerist or be their agent or their manager, you know, yeah. but take the gallery, use it, bring in your friends, bring in your family, create your Instagram and Facebook moments. Yeah. Um, you know, and, you know, because I want, to, I want to create an environment where people can come together, you know, mm-hmm. and discuss and meet with art. And, and, and when I do that, you know, invariably I'm going to meet people here through someone else's show that, you know, likes my work or wants to talk to me about something or I'll mm-hmm. introduce them to somebody else. Or I could bring my friends to show them this new artist that I like. Yeah. Um, and, and what happens is when you just put lots of people that are doing interesting things together um, you're just going to get interesting things out of it. Um, and then all of a sudden everybody, someone's got a friend and you should meet this person and you should meet that person. Yeah. You know, and then, I mean, literally there was somebody here yesterday that was from India and he loved my work and he felt like, you know, I had a real opportunity to show in India. And my goal is actually to be a global artist where I can travel the world Mm. and show my work and kind of, you know, use, my art as a way to meet people and bring people together um and it was great it was like you know okay well who do I got to meet you know introduce me to whoever you know I'll 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 talk to them I'll and and nine times actually even more than that it doesn't work out or it doesn't go anywhere or they don't respond back or whatever but you got to just keep doing it yeah yeah, that's absolutely true. Going after it,
0: following up, asking, giving. I'm a huge believer in all of yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. Got to do a lot of that. <laughs> absolutely. So I have like, I, I just thought of this thing, because you're so great on both sides, business and art. And, and, you know, this podcast is a lot about creativity and art and, and the business side of it as well. So I'd love to hear from you top three things that you've learned pieces of advice, um, on the creative process side, and then the top three things that you've learned on the business side of art.
1: Right. Um, so on the creative side, I think it's, at at least for me internally, it's really just following my own instinct and gut. You know, I, I, it's something that I've done my whole life. Mm -hmm. Um, so regardless of what anybody says, I just got to follow my own instinct for it. And uh, and hopefully it will resonate. Yeah. Um, and the thing about art too is that it doesn't—it doesn't need to resonate with a lot of people. Um, mm. it, it only needs to resonate with with a bunch of people, you know. And then the more it resonates with that bunch, it can then resonate with more, and then more and more. But 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 you don't have to immediately have millions of people that care about what you do. But you got to find your audience or your voice. And then on the creative side as well. Um, I think you have to enjoy it, mm-hmm. you know if you don't love it, if you don't want to just do it all the time every day um then then it's just not going to work yeah you know, and I think that that way about everything, and then I think you also have to immerse yourself in the environment you know i I don't think you, you can't be an outsider and try to be an insider, you know you have to become an insider so yeah. but i but that but getting back to the business side of it, which leads to why I think you know. I'm, I'm able to, you know, accelerate my career in this space is because, because I am an outsider, you know, mm-hmm. cause I didn't grow up going to art school yeah. and, you know, you know, I always ask myself if I'm even worthy of being in the industry or the business. Yeah. Um, but I'm not afraid to take chances and I'm not afraid to just do it. Yeah. Um, but you know, but because I am an outsider, I don't have I don't have any horses in this race. You know, I don't have the old way of doing things right. to compete with. Um, I don't have old ways of, or old habits or, or people telling me you can't do it or I, or, or I might disrupt the system. I don't have a system. So I could do anything I want, you know, because it's all new to me. Um, and so many times when you get into a new business, there's the old way of doing things. And this yeah. is the way we always do it. And people can't get out of that. Right. Um, but I was never in it. Mm -hmm. So I find that being from the outside, it's actually the only way to change the inside, you know, is to be from the outside because it's those people that can kind of, you know, look at the way it's done and say, well, I don't have to do it that way. I don't care. I'm just going to do it my way. Absolutely. Um, And that's what happened even with the gallery. You know, I had, um, I was talking to another artist friend of mine and I was telling her about the kind of, you know, people that I want to do shows with. And one of them in particular, I was telling her is um, my lawyer, his um his son is a ten year old kid, but he paints Nike sneakers, and the kid is great. Does a great wow. job. And I'm like, I want to do a show with him, you know, yeah. at the gallery. Well, why not? You know, yeah. I want it to be a real cultural art center, and you know, so I was telling her this kind of stuff, and she's like, Oh my God, you can't do that because then the art world, you know, isn't going to take your gallery seriously. And then if you want to be taken seriously, you know, you can't have the kids selling sneakers in your gap. And it's like. I don't care what people think. It doesn't matter to me. It's my gallery. You know, if somebody doesn't want to take me seriously because I have some kid with a painted sneakers in my gallery, I'm like, (laughs) I I don't care. I I just don't care. Yeah. I I can't, I can't think about what people are going to be thinking about me or my gallery because of that. So, but that's the kind of thinking where, you know, where she was trying to warn me about going down this road. And I'm like, I don't care. It doesn't matter to me. It's not gonna change anything. If people like my work, great. If they don't like my work, I'm not gonna convince them otherwise. So yeah, it's yeah. just, it's a personal taste. Um, so, and then, and then also on the business side as well, um, it's so important to have great people mm-hmm. around you. Um, you. You can't surround yourself with bad people, negative people, bad people, people that are trying to hold you back, people that, you know, you, you and I'm not talking about yes people. Having yes people around you, right. but it's but it's about people that are constantly pushing you know you to be better and further and opening up opportunities for you and trading ideas and trading resources. Um, and I found that um, actually in the art world that there's actually um, artists that are that are one of two ways. One of that are very very generous, mm-hmm. and then there are some that are very territorial. Mm. You know where they feel like you know if they help you then then that's one less sale they would have made or one less contact they would have made. Right. Um, And I can't work with those people. I can't I can't associate myself with people that that don't want to be generous about it. So, Mm -hmm. you know, fortunately, I've had some a couple of artists, one in particular, this uh, gentleman, Jeremy Penn, who's been incredibly generous to me, you know, in terms of introducing me to people and opening up resources and and just giving me ideas and where to go to get paint and things like, and just simple things. Some are complicated, but, but whatever it was, you know, it saved me months of research and going through, you know, doing things the wrong way, mm-hmm. you know, and then anything that I could do to help him, I'll do, yeah. you know, I, I can't, I can't help him, you know, paint better or, or that, but, but if I can open up resources that he might not have access to, yeah, you know, I'll be the first one to be able to do that for him. Absolutely. Um, and I think in any business, it's very collaborative. Yeah, you know, to be yeah. able to do that. Oh, that's great. So this is another an, fascinating question. You
0: know, in, in the world of networking and talking about your art, how do you talk about your art when you're out on the street and you meet somebody new? And how do you describe yourself without coming off, you know, conceited or arrogant? Because I know, like, I always,
1: I've always thought about it myself. Like, how do I talk about my work without being douchey about it? Right. In that sense. Well, I actually think the first thing is actually even just taking the time to speak to somebody. You know, I think offering your time to somebody is, is the most generous thing that you can do. Mm-hmm. Because it's the commodity that nobody gets more of. Um, and it's the one thing that, that you can't get back. So, yeah. so just being a present with somebody to talk to them about that right off the bat your ego is out the window on that. Mm. You know, then when you're physically, or actually talking to somebody about your work. Um, I think it's, it's actually just um, talking to somebody about your process or what you do, but then also listening to them. Because um, ultimately you need to talk to them or show them what you're doing. Yeah. But then the process of hearing from them what they think or what their thoughts are or what they saw about it or what they find interesting um, and I think that kind of that feedback process, yeah. um, I think, also helps kind of bring that level to the point where, you know, where where it's not ego. And and I think so much of the when artists do have an ego, it's always about the me, 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 my show, my process, my work, mm. my this, my that. When in fact, it could be you know showing somebody your art and then saying yeah. you know. Um, you know, talking to them about what they do, or 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 even I, I find that I I use it as a as a way to open up to somebody about what they do creatively, mm. um, and I find that 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 to me is what also brings it down because so many times people will say, "Is oh I'm not that creative," and and people people have this notion that if they can't draw a perfect human face or figure or body, that they're not artistic. Yeah. And that's not the case. And for some reason, you know, they teach kids that way. You know, yeah. you talk to kids and you ask them if they're if they're artistic, and they think that because they, they can't draw a person, that they're not artistic. And yeah. so, so it's constantly being discouraged. So a lot of times I talk to people about how are they being creative, you know, in their lives. Mm-hmm. You know, and they, they always say, you know, I used to write poems or I used to draw or I love you know, um, doing, you know, you know, I I make, I do needlepoint or it could be anything. It's like, I used to make stuff out of wood or I used to, you know, design jewelry or whatever. I used to make dresses or, Mm -hmm. I mean, it could literally be anything. And it's like, well, what happened? It's like, Oh, I got busy. I got this, I got that. I'm like, well, go to the art store, you know, pick up some paper, pick up some, whatever they make these really cool, whatever. And then you know, and I think I think if you can kind of turn it around and be inspiring to them mm-hmm. to kind of bring back the things that they used to enjoy doing. Yeah. Um, I mean that's something that I do. I love
0: that. I love that.
1: Now I've I, I've gone through so many
0: interviews over the last, you know, a couple of years, and I think one of the biggest things that I've found in successful people is the, the mindset and their mind their mental game you know, what, I would say, what mindsets have you gone through? or Do you, do you practice that you feel has made you successful?
1: Yeah. So I'll give you an example. So, um, so I got to the point where um, in November I had my first show and then they had asked me to exhibit at one of the art fairs at Art Basel. And I went there and it was great. I met a lot of people, you know, now we're into, uh, and then I sold a piece at the show and then I sold a piece, you know, shortly thereafter. And then And then it became like January, February and I started talking to other galleries and I couldn't get another show and nobody wanted to talk to me. Nobody wanted to, you know, they, they, they thought of me as some artist, you know, that they could just, you know, throw around and, you know, I'm I'm almost like a disposable commodity out there. And, you know, it was very kind of disheartening and it got to the point where like, I'm in my apartment, it's like, I think it's around February and I'm like... I can't get a show and what am I gonna do? Nobody wants to return my calls. Nobody's like getting back to me. And all of a sudden I started getting into this mindset of like, wow, why aren't all these people doing things or helping me? And I'm like, wait, that's not me. I'm not gonna sit here and wait for somebody else to determine what my fate is gonna be Mm -hmm. and where I'm gonna go. And I don't need permission from somebody to be successful in this business. I'm like, screw that. You know, yeah. what do I got to do now? And I started putting a plan together of, okay, what do I need to do to kind of take control of my life and not be dependent on anybody else out there for my success? Um, it's huge. You know, in terms of like the galleries and the fairs and stuff. So that's when I'm like, all right, I need to find a space. I got to get out of my apartment. I got to mm. stop thinking about myself this way. If I'm going to be an artist, I got to be an artist. Yeah. And that's when I got a studio space I decided, okay, I'm going to do this full time. Um, I got rid of almost everything else I was working on and I got a studio space and I got some, a small gallery space at the time of a small one here. And I said, that's it. I'm going to open up shop. I'm just going to go to work every day and paint (laughs) and love it. And then everybody I meet, I'm going to invite them to my gallery and I'm going to start doing my own shows and I'm not going to wait for somebody else to give me a show. Yeah. I'm going to start doing my own. And then magically and 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 I don't want to say it was magically in terms of magic but magically in terms of timing where all of a sudden I started getting shows I started getting fairs I started getting people interested and excited because I wasn't bec- I wasn't this waiting around for anybody once I decided that I was going to do it all of a sudden I think just just the air out there just yeah. I guess the way I was talking the way I exuded myself mm-hmm. you know was I'm doing this, you yeah. know, are you on my train or you're not on my train? And, and I think people picked up on that. And yeah. I think a lot of these galleries or these fairs or things that I became a part of were like, holy shit, you know, we gotta, we gotta, we gotta work with this guy because, yeah. you know, if we don't, we might miss out on what he can do. Yeah. That is fantastic.
0: That's, that's absolutely right. And it's so easy
1: to get kind of caught
0: in that victim mindset yeah. of oh, why me, why me? And it's, You know, you got to pull yourself back onto the road and and jump on it and start creating for yourself. Yeah, I love that. That's amazing advice. Yeah, amazing advice. So one last question that I love to ask all my guests is what does the phrase live inspiration mean to you?
1: So I feel like my whole life I've lived that way, but only for the first time in my life that I feel like I'm achieving it because in the past, all my businesses even though I started them or I own them, I had lots of people working for me. And I kind of always felt like my life belonged to other people. Mm. And it was only once I left my own company that my life became mine again. Yeah. And then once my life was mine, I was then able to be free to do what I want when I want, but in my own way, you know, I, there are still kind of life physics. I still have to pay bills and I still have to, I still have those obligations. I have two amazing kids and they're older now, but, but I didn't have to listen to other people creatively Mm -hmm. what to do. And, and I could spend that time, you know, being very mindful, being very present um, and then being able to create things that I love to do and then be able to share that with everybody that's amazing that's amazing so where can people follow you find you on the interweb see your work all that good stuff oh well mostly on instagram at my name garib at garib shamus g-a-r-e-b-s-h-a-m-u-s and also online as well um at uh, garib and at garib on twitter fantastic fantastic well it's been amazing thank you so much for coming on oh my pleasure thank you yeah
0: Thank you guys so much for listening to this week's episode of Neon Radio with Garib Shamus. I am your host, Nick Onkin, and I hope you enjoyed today's episode and you got some good nuggets of truth out of it. Some things that you can apply to your life. And If you did enjoy the episode, I would love it if you could help me out by leaving us a good review over on iTunes, sharing the episode out on Facebook, Twitter, and any of the social medias you have. And we'd love to see where you're listening to Neon Radio. So post up a photo on Instagram and tag me at Nick Gonkin, hashtag Neon Radio. That's N-I-O-N radio. And if you want to catch the show notes, the show notes are neonradio.com slash EP103. So with that, go out, create your life by creating every small moment, and we'll see you next time.